Good morning. Are we all here with it? You know, what we usually say uh, as pastors is if you can remember one thing from this week, we will consider that success. Like if it's Richard's thing, I'm still like victory. If it's one, it's great. So if you're feeling like, wow, that's a lot of content, I'm receiving so much, know that you can obviously go back to the recordings if you want to, but also just rest in Jesus who loves you and the spirit who's moving among us to allow those things to settle and that God will bring to the top what is for you this week and that you can rest in the freedom of that. So we've been talking this week about wholehearted living. What does it look like to really live a God-centered life, to choose his reality for ourselves? And we started with this whole idea of living purposefully, that life is a choice, and then I get to be a part of what that choice will be about the reality that I'm choosing to understand and to believe. And then we talked about what it means to live honestly with ourselves, to understand what God is doing in our own brokenness and in the way that we've been saved, not just once, but as we continue in that salvation, in those kairos moments that God gives us to discover and those opportunities that we have to come to him. And then we talked uh, yesterday about this whole idea of loving fully. How do we live in this freedom cycle in the middle of communion with God so that we might continue to experience him more and more through life? Now, here is my concern. If we were to end yesterday, what I feel like you might receive and that you might hear is that the life of faith moves from victory to victory. That you can just go from mountaintop to mountaintop. And if you'll, just, if you'll just do these things, right, this is how your life will go. But we serve a God who it was said of Jesus that he was a man of many sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We serve, we follow our leader, Jesus, who said, John 16, here's a promise, in this world, you will have trouble. The second part of the promise is, take heart, I have overcome the world. We like the second part of the promise, but there's actually two promises. The first promise is, in this world, you will have trouble. And so I wouldn't want us to end the week without actually talking about pain and about hardship. And Richard has referred to this as well. We've talked about how we want to avoid pain, but what does it look like to be people who are willing to step toward pain, toward our own pain? What do we do with that? Because hardship will come to you, and it's not, it's not something that you can avoid. You can't do the freedom cycle right enough to never have pain. You can't stay sort of holy enough. You can't cloister yourself. You can't comfort yourself enough to not have pain in your life. Our, our, our lives are full of it, and as a pastor, I've seen um, the privilege, really, of being in the deepest pain, the places where you think, I have nothing to say. I visited a home where um, the oldest son had just taken his life through an overdose. I've stepped into a living room where two young parents had just lost their son upstairs, two months old, to SIDS. This is life. And I've been in those normal things too, like when your mom dies, because your mom dies sometime. And it doesn't matter if you're 70 and your mom is 95, she still dies. And it doesn't matter if you're 70 and your mom's 95 and you knew that your mom was going to die. When I've been with people in grief, they're still so shocked. Something in us, the eternal part of us, just can't accept death because we weren't made originally for death. 
But we live in a world where loss and grief is part of our reality. And I'm not just talking about losses like death. It's also just losses. It's disappointment. It's the the loss of a dream. It's the loss of a marriage. The loss of even just a way that you thought your life would look. Maybe you had that ideal out in front of you and you're like, this isn't how it's turning out. And yet as Christians, we should be people who know how to walk into pain more than anyone else because you know how we bear witness to the glory of God, the place that we actually bear witness the most is not in your victories and it is not in your success. It's actually in your weakness and in your limitations and in your storms. Do you know that the world is watching you deal with the things that they can't explain? They're not looking for Christians who are living from victory to victory. They're looking for Christians who know how to live in loss and pain and in the reality of our world, which is a difficult world to live in. So I can't pretend to be able to tell you how to handle all of those things, but all I can do is say, I believe in the word of God, and I believe that it's living and active and that we can go to God's word with questions, and we can say, Lord, would you help us just just understand a little bit more about how we can live in this world? And what I take comfort in in the Bible is that the Bible does not shy away from this problem in any respect. In the book of John, over and over again, you see Jesus' disciples trying to make meaning out of hard things. In John chapter 9, they come across a man who was born blind at birth. And the disciples say to Jesus, and I feel like they were like really feeling really like good students at this point. They're like, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. You see, there's a, a Jewish understanding of sin, which was that it's a curse, That if anything's gone wrong in your life, it's a curse on your life, a generational curse. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's not because he sinned or his parents sinned. It's actually so that the works of God might be manifest in his life. The woman at the well, Jesus says, you know this story. I know you have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she says, uh, what mountain are we supposed to worship on? <laughs> you know, we use, the, we use the sort of deflection away from pain or the, I want to explain it. Who's the victim here? Who's the villain here? The woman caught in adultery, the same thing. Wait, is she the bad guy or is she the victim? We want to know. We want to explain pain. And scripture shows that that's human nature to try to explain why is a bad thing happening to this good person? I have a good friend, he's in his 50s, and he lost his daughter to kidney cancer when she was in her 20s. And we spent a lot of time together because you know what happens when someone's been through deepest grief? Is there something in us that says, can you teach me something? People who've been through grief and hardship and they've come through it and they have faith, the rest of us look to them and say, can you tell me something? Because we know somewhere inside of us that we also, if we have not yet, we will face pain like that. And we we find them to be people of wisdom. Psalm 90 says, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think that there's no greater place that we can become wholehearted Christians than in numbering our days aright around pain, loss, grief, and trouble because of the way that people begin to look to us, the way we look to one another when we're in those places. This is what my friend Tommy wrote about this time in his life. This is a faithful guy, a faithful, great Christian man. He said, I became aware as he lost his daughter that I believed that because of my faithfulness, there would be a limit to my suffering. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that God would allow suffering as difficult as this in my life. 
I thought my faithfulness to him earned a pass from this. So when all this happened, it created a world of uncertainty. Our great pain wouldn't prevent something else from happening. All of a sudden, anything was possible. So many times when we thought it couldn't get worse, it just got worse. It felt Job-like. I felt with some self-pity like Job. Now listen to this. Too often, we Christians tell a very dangerous story. If you come to Christ, you'll have ups and downs, but everything will work together for good. That means all things have happy endings and life always works out. This leaves a lot of people really lonely because this isn't their story. Their life story isn't working out. I think sometimes the version of hope we preach is hope that everything will work out. But the real Christian story is this. We aren't in control. Life is hard. And our hope is in the goodness of God and the reality of eternity. So I want to talk this morning about an aspirational vision for four paradoxical truths about what pain can do in your life on this side of heaven and also what it means to find your hope in the reality of eternity. I think that there is such good news on the other side of this. But first, but first, let's talk about what we can learn through pain. What the Bible teaches us pain can do for us in this incredible upside-down reality that God creates. You see, we live in a world where we say what we want to do is avoid pain. What we want to have is no grief in our life. I want to do everything I can to stay comfortable and to stay secure. But the Bible actually tells us that there is some wonderful things to gain through loss and disappointment and pain. And so let's look at four of these paradoxes that we find in Scripture in dealing with pain. The first one is in 2 Corinthians 1, and it's this idea that our suffering brings comfort. So that's our first one. There we go. There's your, if you want to take notes, that will help you. The first one is suffering brings comfort. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Paul goes on to talk about when we've experienced the source of comfort, we then are able to offer that comfort to others. But all of that happens because of suffering. And if you're thinking, oh, it's Paul, but listen to what he says about what brought him to this reality. I always wonder when people say something really helpful, I want to ask them, what is the backstory that made you know that? And we get that with Paul. Like, hey, Paul, how do you know this to be so true? How do you know it to be so true that God is a God of all comfort and that suffering is worth it because we share in the sufferings of Christ and because of that, we're able to comfort other people? Well, listen to what he says about what happened because he says, hey, the reason I know that this is the God of all comfort is this reason, verse eight, we do not want you to be uninformed. Brothers and sisters, listen to why Paul knows this about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. You don't think there's depression and anxiety and grief and hardship even in our brother Paul? I don't think he's being like sarcastic or being exaggerating. He's saying it was so hard, the pressure was so great, the troubles were so intense that we despaired of life itself. That is deep pain. And it doesn't matter to me what that pain is in your own life. Because remember what we talked about? The insidious little message, it's not that bad, somebody has it worse than you. Just jettison that. 
I don't, it doesn't matter what's brought you to a position where you feel like you would even despair of life itself. Whatever that thing is, this is what Paul says. We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul is able to write a redemptive story about a very difficult circumstance he had been in. What will it take for you to look at your life and say, I choose a redemptive story for this hardship in my life? I choose the redemptive story. I'm not waiting for it to come to me. I'm going to look at that life. I'm going to look at that trouble. I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to say the pressure was so great. The trouble was so great. I despaired so deeply, but this happened so that I might know that God will deliver me. You can choose that even if you don't feel it. You can choose that. You could say, God, I believe that you will deliver me. It is an act of holy defiance to believe that God will deliver you even when you don't feel it. Suffering to comfort, finding the redemptive story. The second thing the Bible tells us is that trials can lead to joy. This one just makes me laugh. James 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's just, I'm sorry, that is just actually 100% inaccurate to my life. Like, I have never considered trials pure joy. Like, I am still a work in progress. That does not have anybody here just like, oh, I'm so glad for this trial. Like, praise. You know, it's just, it's not our human reaction to pain. Our human reaction to pain is to move away. It's like the hot stove. You just move away from it. But in this grand paradox of a spiritual reality, we learn that in the trial, there is joy. Somewhere deep in there, there is joy to be had. In that hard thing, God can do something. It's like he's an alchemist. He takes this whole mixture of stuff that you would never think would bring gold, and he brings gold out of it. And he says that you should consider this joy because in that trial, perseverance is being built, and faith is being built in you. Your faith is being tested. Now, when God says that your faith is being tested, I don't want you to imagine um, a pop quiz. God is not just like sort of standing over you trying to give you a pop quiz. The kind of testing that we're talking about is how you test to make sure that a car can withstand a collision. The kind of testing we talk about is how firm is this foundation really? Do you know that when you go into the gym, which I'm sure you all have this week, I know we've all been there, when you go into the gym and you lift a weight, or you go on the ropes course and you lift yourself up after you've fallen off the wire again, whatever you're doing, when you use that muscle, the way that a muscle gets stronger is by getting torn. All the little fibers actually pull apart, and as they're torn apart, they are rebuilt stronger. That's how muscles get stronger. And because God is our great creator and he's made all these things, I believe that's an analogy for our faith, that as we experience trials, the testing comes because we get stretched, those muscle fibers get pulled, our faith fibers get pulled, and in doing so, they are actually built stronger. So that the trial that you are in today is preparing you for the trial of tomorrow, that your faith might stand and that you might be proven genuine. Because that is how we bear witness to the faithfulness of God. But in doing so, God does not withdraw himself 
from your trouble. Remember, the first thing that we experience is that in suffering, we experience a God of comfort. And in trials, we can experience joy. They go together. So in your trial, you're not alone. God is not testing you alone. He's comforting you in it, but also strengthening you for the work that he has. In scripture, it says over and over again, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If your faith is weak, how will we be part of the harvest? God is not trying to test you just, for, just because he's sort of like a, a sadist who wants you to have a hard life before you get to heaven. It's because there is work to be done, and the work to be done requires great faith. Anybody ever been near someone who's suffering, and everything in you wants to pull away? Sometimes when we get close to people in pain, we think it's going to be contagious or, or we feel so insecure because we don't know what to say. And, and that's a place where God's like, I've got to strengthen you for the work. I need you to be people who run into the fire of people's lives, not away. I don't want you to be people who don't know how to speak to people who are in difficult circumstances to encourage them. And if you have not been through it, you will not be able to be with it, with those people. You just can't. And so God does something when he strengthens our faith. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Third paradox in scripture about pain is that in our weakness, we discover strength. Again, back to Paul in 1 Timothy. He opens up his letter and he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So Paul is saying a very confident thing here, as he often does. He said, I'm a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been chosen by Jesus to bring a message to the Gentiles. Those are very confident words. And he says it again. He's like, hey, this is, I, I just, I'm trusting God who's appointed me to his service. So it's surprising when he's talking about confidence and strength, about what he actually says very next in the letter. This is what he says right after. He's considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And then he says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Do you see right next to Christ's strength and confidence, Paul puts his own weakness all the time. Right next to his confidence about what he's called to do, he puts the reality of himself. What's so interesting about this verse to me, this three-word testimony from Paul is he says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. He says, I was wrong with my words, blasphemer. I was wrong with my actions, persecutor. And then he says, I was actually wrong at my core. Like my core nature was violence. I, I don't know how often you guys are just chatting it up with your friends and you're like, I just want to tell you who I really am. You know, I was once a, just a thief and a gossiper and, and just a prideful person. You know, most of us are not calling on that kind of weakness at the ready while we're also talking about confidence and strength. But in scripture, this happens all the time. They're put together. When I was 17 years old, after a life of just knowing the right answer with Jesus, for the very first time, the gap between the weakness in me what I was experiencing inside of me and what I was trying to put forth for people to see became too great for me to just maintain anymore. And I just, I felt my inner world just crumbling. And I hadn't opened a Bible or been in church or anything uh, for a while, but I was in my dorm room in college. I happened to have a Bible with me um, and it was a life application Bible. And I opened up to Romans 8 and it said, who can separate you from the love of Christ? And I was like, oh wait, 
I can't even separate me from the love of Christ. I can't run far enough away to get away from the love of Christ. That's my testimony. And it continues to be my testimony is that in weakness, there is strength. God doesn't appoint us to his service because we're strong. He appoints us to his service because we're weak and we know who we actually are. And in that weakness, we can have the sufficiency of Christ. We find the strength, just like Paul did in 1 Timothy. Hebrews 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, in the midst of the pain, the continual story that we hear is that God is near to the brokenhearted. God is near to us. So even though he is redeeming and reforming your faith through the pain, he does not leave you alone in it. Jesus, it says, is our high priest who is not unable to empathize with our weakness. If you read the Gospels closely, you will see Jesus' humanity come off the page. I think about the time where he gave a hard teaching where he said, hey, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. If not, then you're not my followers. And it says that many fell away. And in this beautiful, poignant, poignant moment, he looks at his disciples and says, you aren't going to leave me too, are you? Think about the Garden of Gethsemane when he calls Peter, James, and John and says, will you pray with me? And he goes, he goes away. And he says that he's despairing of his life. He says, Lord, if it be, could you take this cup from me? Like, this is our Jesus that we follow. How, how dare we think that we will not experience that kind of pain? It's part of our story. And it's not a part of our story we can avoid by doing it right. It's a part of our story that we can step into and face. Because we have a God of comfort. We have a God of strength. We have a God who can turn our trials into joy. The fourth paradox is this. That when we experience injustice, God can turn it to compassion. It is often only when we experience the injustice on ourselves, whatever that may look like. It may look like an unreconciled relationship. It may look like a time where you've been taken advantage of, a time that you've been hurt that has not been redeemed, a person that you had to forgive who doesn't care and doesn't need your forgiveness and is not being redeemed in that relationship. Whatever that thing is, the injustices that we experience in life will either make you bitter or they will make you broken and useful to God because you will look to the margins for the rest of your life. You will look to the marginalized, to those who experience injustice. You will be moved with compassion like our Jesus is. Often in scripture, we see that Jesus is troubled by what he sees in the world. It says he'll be troubled and then moved to compassion. He moves to action. And because that's who we follow, we can allow God to use those things that come to us it may be just a place that you've got a hard workplace situation. You just have a bad boss. Don't listen to that whisper that says that's not important. Because in the daily, in your daily faithfulness, in that difficult work situation that you're in, in that way that you show up over and over again and you are faithful and you follow the rules and you are honored and honorable in the way that you treat a person, you are learning. You are growing. It is important don't wait for a big tidal wave of disappointment to come over. You work with the disappointments that God gives us every day. Be like, God, I want to be used right now. I want you to use whatever trials you're giving me. This traffic, like Richard talked about, I mean, spiritual growth opportunity of a lifetime is traffic. 
<laughs> I was driving with a friend the other day, and I, I, this guy was coming out, and it was my turn to go. It really was. And I really, really like it when it's my turn, and I believe in my turn. And I believe that if it is my turn, whatever happens next is going to be your fault. And so I would usually go, but he, had, he was a big truck, and I'm about to make a U-turn, and I stopped. And my friend, who's a lot like me, uh, she was like, I would never have stopped just then. And I was like, no, actually, God is working on my heart. And she, <laughs> I was really being sincere. And she laughed, and I said, no, really, I mean it. I've been moving at such a fast pace, and God has slowed me down some. And part of slowing me down some means that I've, I actually left early enough to not be late so I could let that guy go, even though it wasn't his turn. I mean, how dumb is that? But like, I really was like, victory. Like, that was a victory in my life that day. Like, we got to take what God gives us. I don't want to wait for the tidal wave of pain to come my way. I want to work with the little pain so that I could be strengthened in the little pain. Amen? Like, I want to find joy in those kind of trials. I don't want God to have to ramp it up before I notice that he's trying to work in my spiritual reality. Yeah? All right. Hardship of all kinds remind us and require us to live by the Spirit. Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You can ask yourself that every single day. You can put your feet on the ground and say, God, I want to live in your reality today. And you can get to the end of your day and you can say, what time today did I stop living by the spirit and start living by the flesh? What time today did I leave the kingdom of heaven because I was back in my own way? And if you could just like add a minute Every day, just a minute longer. Well, oftentimes for me, I haven't even left the home before I've left, and I'm now living in the spirit of the flesh again. But this whole concept, this idea that we start, like we talked about with Ezekiel, son of man, come to your feet. The spirit set him on his feet. That it's the spirit of God who reached you when you were dead in your sin, when you could not respond. God came to you and brought you to life. Now, don't start living by means of that dead flesh. Continue to live by means of that spirit. And I know it sounds good and aspirational, right? I mean, I listen to this stuff and I'm like, yes, yes. But then I actually try to go live my life. And I'm like, how do you actually do that though? You know, how do you do this on Monday when you go back to work? So a little Bible study, just a practical way that I believe that we can encounter this idea of how we continue to live in the spirit, in the everyday trials, in the great trials, in the pain and disappointment that will inevitably come to our life, in all of that loss, how can we actually continue to live by the spirit? So I'm going to draw from Luke 24. If you are a person who writes in your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to this passage. It's Luke 24, verse 36, because I'm going to have you underline three things that I want you to see that I think will be so encouraging to you because they're practical and they're basic and we can draw on them as truth. So Jesus... Have you ever thought about why Jesus appeared risen for 40 days before he ascended into heaven? We've got this space, this little liminal space between heaven and earth where the resurrected Christ in his resurrected body moves among his disciples, followers, people come to him. And in this passage that we're about to look at, the risen Christ is appearing to his disciples who have just hit the bottom of their life. Everything that they thought to be true became untrue as they watched Jesus suffer an unjust trial, beaten, mocked, crucified, dead, buried. And they're like, it was all for naught. It was for nothing. 
I mean, the ultimate disappointment. And then the mix of this confusion about this life and about who God is, the risen Christ appears to them. And here's what Jesus says to them, Luke 24. So they're still talking about all that's happened. And Jesus just stands among them. And he says to them, peace be with you. And they're startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. But he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And so he said that and he showed them his hands and feet. I love just how like normal this moment is in the midst of this crazy reality that we serve a risen Christ. And they still didn't believe it, but they were full of joy and amazement. And so then he says, anybody have a snack? It's like, he's like going to do a magic trick now. He's like, I really want you guys to know, like bring me some food. So he's like, here's my hands, here's my feet. I'm with you. Anybody have a snack? He has a snack. And they're like, wow, look at that. He eats it. And then he says, hey, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So let's stop here. Jesus is going to give his disciples three gifts. And they're right here in this passage. The first one we just heard was peace be with you. The first thing that the risen Christ brings to us when he brings his presence to us is peace. So in the trial and in the storm and in the loss and in the sharp pain of grief, we can have peace. Like you can say, Jesus, I know that you are my peace. And he's always imparting peace everywhere he goes. He's like, fear not, fear not, peace, peace, peace. He says, you can have peace that passes understanding. Peace that passes understanding is when we are in grief. And it doesn't make the hurt go away, and it doesn't solve the problems, and it doesn't give you all the meaning, but you can actually have peace in the midst of it. If you've been close to people who have suffered, if you've been close to people at the end of life, or in a very tragic circumstance, one that you would never, ever want to experience for yourself, they will consistently talk about the peace of Christ being with them, those who believe and they can't explain it. They try to tell you what it's like, but they can't even tell you what it's like. There's like, all I can tell you is that we have peace. There is peace. There is peace. The gift of the risen Christ is peace. The second one we just heard, and listen to this. He opened their minds, verse 45, if you want to underline. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Do you know that you can pray that God would give you insight into his word? If you're a person who's thinking, I just feel like I read the Bible and it's just flat to me, I, I, don't, I don't understand it, it's not appealing to me, I don't feel like I'm rushing to my Bible every day, I know I'm supposed to, and I want to hear the word of God, but you, you either sort of have agreed that you just aren't one of those people, or you've received a message, just, it wasn't on purpose, but in your church or wherever, you sort of received a message that it's the professional Christians who can interpret scripture, so you need to come to church, or you need to read a book, or whatever, whatever, and I, I come to church, and I write books, so I'm happy for you to do that, but it would be ridiculous for me to tell you, you can read a book I wrote, and that's going to be the same as you encountering the risen Christ through his word. Like, so if you have been a person, and you, you can just look at me, and I'll know it's you, because it's, it's all of us at one time or another, and it's way more of you than you think, just so you know. Because I, I did a survey recently of about 1,600 people, and these people were in church, and about 60% of them said they rarely or only monthly read their Bible. 60%. 
So don't look at each other, but it's true of you. So if you felt that and you've sort of ever felt like, oh, it's just kind of dry and dull, it doesn't work, or I read it and it actually confuses me, or I read something really hard and, and then my faith is like shaky, like I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know who this God is, you know? If that's you, a gift of the risen Christ is that he can open your mind to understand the scripture. If you don't want to read, you can pray that you would just want it. You can, you can pray for more hunger and more thirst for his word. You can start with that. You can ask God to open your mind to understand the scripture. And I would love it. I, I won't be here this week, next year, but whoever is here with you, I would love if you're here next year that you think back to this moment and be like, did God open my mind since last year? Have I received insight from his word? Because his word is for you. It is not for professional Christians. It is for you to experience and encounter him for yourself. So God can open your mind to understand the scriptures. And it goes on. Back to the passage, Jesus is, is with his disciples, the risen Christ. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The third gift of the risen Christ in our life is that he can clothe us with power from on high so that we might complete the assignment that he has given to us in our life. Your assignment is your marriage, your family, your workplace, the injustices that you see on the news that spark your heart. It's not everything. Not every one of us is called to every single thing. This is not a guilt trip. But to be open to say, God, I am open to what you are doing and I will wait for you. You will give me the power I need. A lot of us just need power in our school and in our workplace because that is a dark place. We come here and it's beautiful. We're surrounded by Christians. Do you realize that even in the midst of all the things about Christians that are like weird and, you know, because we're weird and the stuff about Christian culture that's weird, there's just an essential kindness to those who know they've been saved by grace. Even if, even if it's not great and we annoy each other, like there's a kindness and a joy. But many of you go out into the world and you are in the dark world. You are bringing the light of Christ into your workplace and into your school. And it is not light there. And people are not essentially kind. That's not the world you're living in. That's what God has called you to. He will clothe you with power on high so that you might bring the spirit with you. You can bring the glory of God. You can be a little temple of God walking around just an ambassador of reconciliation, just hands of reconciliation everywhere you go because that is what God has told us that he's called us to. So he imparts peace. He opens the mind for understanding. He sends power on high. So even in disappointment and in grief and in pain, we can know his comfort. We can believe that he is doing something in a spiritual realm. He is doing something with our pain and with our disappointment. He is doing something. He's preparing us. He is digging us deeper. I feel like what this generation needs more than anything else is people of depth who have roots that go deep, who are not swayed by the winds of change in this time, who are not living so superficially and just escaping just escaping in entertainment and in technology and in the pleasures of the world, but actually have roots that have gone deep, that we might be like these trees that withstand storms, that people find shelter under, because everybody experiences pain. Will we be people who can be those that help those 
who need shelter in pain. So finally, as we close this week, it would be amiss if we did not talk about the truth of eternity. Because in a loss, pain, grief, there will be things that will not feel redeemed on this side of heaven. There will. We don't always get the happy ending to every relationship. And for those of you who know that, who perhaps have had difficult family lives where someone that was hard for you passed away and it just feels like it was undone. It never was done. It wasn't complete. Or you're carrying around a loss or a pain or a hurt that, that doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to get all the way better. And you're not the poster child. You know, you're not up here talking about it like that. And you wonder about that. Well, this is the reality is that Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means we get to live into kingdom realities right now, but we have an eternity in front of us that is so much greater and better than we can even imagine, and that our hope is actually in that. We don't, we don't hope just here. The world hopes here and continues to be disappointed. We hope here. We hope in the reality of heaven. Philippians 3, in the message version, this paraphrase, beautiful paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything together as it should be under and around him. You see, we have this hope in a new heaven and in new bodies. This risen Christ who came to his disciples and said, hey, here I am in my glory. We also have a glory ahead of us. Listen to what it says about heaven in Isaiah, Isaiah 65, 17. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. The promise of Philippians is that you will be made whole in your body and soul. The promise of Isaiah is that it is so good that you won't even think about this life. I want you to imagine your greatest, for those of you who are athletes out here, your greatest athletic achievement. Like that moment, maybe it was on the ropes course, that moment when you were like, look at me, I am strong. Maybe you've run a 10K or a marathon, or you had that moment, you got a pick six in football in high school, and you just peaked at that moment, and you just hold on to it, it's just your glory day, you know? Imagine that. It is so much better than that. The very best memory you've ever had, the best physical feat you've ever accomplished, it is so much better than that that you won't ever think about that again. Think about that moment where you felt like you really were just firing on all cylinders and you, were, you felt like you were really doing it and you, you were thinking well and your body was strong and your heart and your mind was strong. You won't even think about that. That is so far past what it will be in heaven that you won't, it's not even, you can't even imagine how good it is. That's how good heaven is. Transformed bodies, transformed minds, transformed souls. It is so much greater. And our hope is in heaven. The goodness and reality of eternity, which can put all of this in perspective. The more we set our minds on heavenly things, the more perspective we have in the hardship and in the pain and in the loss that we may experience on this side of heaven. Several years ago, I love this story so much. Several years ago, we went to Disney World, and I was so pregnant that I wonder why in the world did we do that? I, we had a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I was pregnant. But for whatever reason, Disney World seemed like the answer. And also, 
we drove there, which is a 12-hour drive. So we got in the car. Yeah, I know. Somehow it was still fun. So we're going to Disney World. And, and we, we're going to drive halfway and stop. So we've got our kids, our toddlers, and I'm pregnant. And we pull up at this hotel. And we're going to stop at this hotel. And we get the luggage cart. And, and my daughter gets on the luggage cart. And I, I push her into the, the, the elevator. And we turn on the elevator. And she's like, is this Disney World? Is this Disney World? I'm like, if this, if this luggage cart in an elevator feels like Disney World to you, we have made a grave error. We have made a huge, expensive mistake. But I think about that because the hope of Disney World was in her, right? The hope was in her. And she's like, in this moment, and like, she's getting pushed on this cart, we're going to the elevator. And I was like, oh, baby girl, if you think this is Disney World, wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow is Disney World. And sometimes I think our Heavenly Father is like that with us. We're here on earth, and we're like, is this it? And he's like, oh, wait until tomorrow. In the blink of an eye, you will be with me in paradise. And this is just a blink. And all the good that you experience is just so small compared to that great. And all the pain and loss that you experience is growing you into a deep person who can do the work of God, but will be forgotten. And every tear will be wiped away, and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. There'll be no thoughts of death. There will be no death. There will be a beautiful, redeemed earth The four-way brokenness that we experience in this world will be transformed in all four ways. Full communion with our Heavenly Father. Full communion and settled peace in ourselves. Full love and joy between each other and a redeemed creation. That's actually what our hope is in. And so like my friend Tommy, who lost his daughter, can say, in the midst of suffering and grief, And one thing that I so appreciate about Tommy when I met with him, I said, how were the last moments with Perrin? And you know what I expected him to say? God was there and it was good. He said it was horrible. It was horrible. But yet in the midst of that kind of pain, he can say, we stand on the goodness of God and the reality of eternity. That is making a spiritual choice. We stand on the goodness of God and the reality of eternity. That we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. We never say goodbye. The goodness of God, the truth of eternity, the reality of redemption, the promise of transformation, and Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we all have a choice to make. We We can live our life with what our eyes can see, what our minds can comprehend, what our emotions can handle. Or we can make the choice to live by faith, not by sight. And we can step over to this place where we say, God, we choose your reality. We choose to believe in your goodness. We choose to believe that you redeem our life in ways that we ourselves cannot imagine. We choose to believe that we can have your peace that you can open our minds, that we can receive power from on high, that you are sufficient, that you are more than enough for whatever we face. Lord, when we stand and bring a sacrifice of praise together, we are telling all of the universe and all the spiritual forces in this world that we believe in the goodness of God and that we know that there is eternity and we bring the kingdom of heaven with us and among us because Jesus is our risen Christ. So Lord, as we offer our worship, 
as we end this session, Lord, in just a moment. We just take a moment of silence. And we just say in our hearts, for those of us who are ready to say it, we say in our hearts, yes, Lord, I surrender again. And I give you my life again. And I turn away from my own reality. And I say, yes, Lord, I want to believe in a spiritual reality, in this whole big thing that you're doing in me and among all of us together. So, Father, we praise you and we thank you and we ask you, Spirit, that you might fill us now and equip us for our assignments and we offer you our praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.